At this, t- at this time, our three-year-olds through third graders are dismissed to children in worship. And so we want to invite them to head downstairs for their Bible lesson. And as we do so, we got just a quick update from a worshiper at home, uh, just when we were uh, getting to make sure there was just one of me and not an echoey me. Um, just a recap for our Ash Wednesday service. That's this Sunday at er, Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is on Wednesday at 6.30 p.m., and so we invite you to, um, if, you, if you're here and you know you're going to be uh, worshiping from home on Wednesday, to grab one of these um, burlap sections with a cross on it on your way out. Otherwise, um, feel free to stop in Monday through Wednesday um, to pick one up, and so this will be part of our token and guide as we enter into the season of Lent, which is 40 days and six Sundays leading us to Easter. Um, and then, just in case, for good measure, and because I'm just personally excited about it, um, we do have um, a devotional guide for Lent working us through our stained glass window um, and lessons both on that and what it has to teach us as we follow Jesus, who is the Good Shepherd, into this season. Um, with those announcements um, recapped for us, I invite you to open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 4. Today we will finish our series on Ruth um, in chapter 4, verses 13 through 22. It is seemingly fitting um, that we finish Ruth, the book of Ruth, this sermon series, on Valentine's Day, um, as Ruth is something of a love story. But it's not just the love story that we tend to think of with Valentine's Day, with kind of a romanticized idea of love. Because the book of Ruth is, well, it starts with God's love, even when things are bitter. And it is the love that Ruth has for her mother-in-law, Naomi, that she sticks with her, with a committed love. And then now, at this section in Ruth chapter 4, beginning at verse 13, yes, we'll get to the kind of the ending of the story where, where there's a marriage and a baby and all things are good. But there is so much love and commitment that led us through this book, leading us to Ruth chapter 4. So I invite you to keep your Bibles open as we study God's Word together from Ruth 4, 13 through 22. But before we read God's Word together, let's pray for God's blessing upon the Word. God, may you move within us this morning. We ask that your Holy Spirit may be sent into our hearts and into the Word, that we can know not just the written words, but that the written Word may lead us to a deeper understanding, appreciation, and love of you, Jesus, the living Word. And so we ask for your blessing, that you make the Scriptures living and active to us, and that as we, read the end of the, as we read the end of one of your stories in Scripture, that it may only add to the story that you are writing within our lives. Bless this word unto us today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Ruth chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, 
Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How do you know that you have arrived? Meaning, how do you know when you've gotten to that point where, where you've arrived, that, that, that you've achieved what you need to, that life is going to be okay, that you've maybe met the next benchmark of achievement or status? And know that this is not a, a trick question, uh, that, that it's okay to have some goals in life that we set our eyes on, things that we work towards, things that we celebrate when we accomplish them. Question, how do you know when you have arrived? There's different times in life that we mark it in different ways. It might be when you finally land the job that you wanted. Or maybe you finished your degree or a certification for work. Maybe for some it's, it's paying off a debt or buying a house. Maybe you received an endorsement from a particular individual or organization. Maybe for some it's that you made varsity, made honor roll, made first chair, or got the part that you wanted. At different points in life, it might be to get married and have someone to share in life's adventures with, or have a kid, or two, or several. It could be so simple to know that you have arrived. You might just know that you have arrived and that you've made it, and it's going to be okay when someone that you love and respect says, I'm proud of you. It might be as complicated as starting your own business. We all have some version, and it might change over time, of what it means to have arrived, to have known that that you made it, that it was worth it, and that you're going to be okay. A certain status has been achieved. We live in a world of possibilities. There's all kinds of different ways that we can celebrate arriving or arrival. But if we go back into our text in Ruth chapter 4, we can understand just historically there's something at play here that for women like Ruth and Naomi in their day, really the only measure and metric of knowing that they had arrived is if they had given birth to sons. This was how they arrived. Seems like a very, it's a very specific horizon, not insignificant, but specific. 
And so if you had sons, this was good. It means that you had arrived. And then your, your true completion of your role when you went from being a mother of sons to being a matriarch is if your sons had sons because then you knew that your family line was established and secure. Someone would carry on your name and that your estate was secure. Now, if you followed along with us through the whole book of Ruth, then you'll know that that was part of Naomi's problem. That was where she got stuck was that there was no son or a redeemer, a parent, to carry on her line and name. There needed to be someone there. Naomi had no one in that role. And from what she told Ruth and Orpah in chapter 1, she did not expect anyone to be able to take that role. Who would help her arrive? Who would make sure that she had made it? that she was going to be okay, who would love her into a steadfast and faithful future? Well, it was Ruth. And even though at this point, as we wrap up the book, Ruth becomes a passive character. She's spoken of, but not to, and Ruth has no more speaking lines. Granted, I know I just called her a passive character. She does give birth in this section. That is anything but passive. Um, Full credit where credit is due. But Ruth is the passive character. We're finishing now on Naomi's story. Naomi, who went off to Moab and lost everything and returned only with this daughter-in-law. And this daughter-in-law, Ruth, was not an Israelite. She was a foreigner. She's a Moabite. And so Ruth returns with Naomi. And Naomi has no sons. She has no grandsons. She has a claim to Elimelech's property that she can't even hold on to because she's a woman with no sons, and it's Ruth. Ruth, her foreign immigrant daughter-in-law that comes back with her. This is a beautiful statement that we have to understand the weight of, that in verse 15, the women tell Naomi, your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given birth. The women of Bethlehem, the faithful Israelites who stayed, who didn't flee during famine the way Naomi did, those who stuck around and saw Naomi come back with Ruth, this foreigner, say, your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. They're talking about Obed. Naomi does not have seven sons. She has one male heir. It is her biological grandson, but in terms of the clan of Elimelech, although as Pastor Audrey mentioned last week, some of these boundary lines are a little bit fuzzy for how it worked out. But because of Boaz, Naomi now has a son. Naomi has a claim to the property that was Elimelech's that is hers. Naomi has arrived. She has made it but not in the way that would normally be thought of. The fact that they call Ruth better than seven sons is a reminder that always throughout Scripture, faithful, steadfast love will always outweigh status. And love will always outmeasure the status quo. Love will always outpower our cultured expectations. Because if you want to be countercultural, that was a 
big thing when I was in high school youth group. We were always talking about being countercultural. But I wonder if we sometimes miss the forest for sight of the trees. Because if you want to be countercultural, according to the book of Ruth, care about otherwise unimportant people. If you want to be countercultural, care about otherwise unimportant people. Like the women of Bethlehem comment that Naomi is blessed, not for seven sons, but because of Ruth, her daughter-in-law, who loved her. Seven sons. This would be Naomi's best dream, probably as she was growing up, of knowing that she has arrived. But if, if we think through different places in Scripture where, where these multiple sons come up, we find that maybe the status, maybe the way we set our idea of what it means to have arrived, to have made it, to be successful in life, isn't always what it's cracked up to be if we don't have love. For instance, it'll be right into the next book and chapter in 1 Samuel 1 that Hannah, who desperately wants to have a son and cannot conceive, will be talking to her husband Elkanah who will say to her, Am I not better to you than ten sons? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons in 1 Samuel 1, verse 8? And once again, Hannah doesn't have ten sons. She has one. She has one boy who is Samuel, who is loved by God. She doesn't arrive by all the standards, but there is a fierce love at play. And if we go all the way to the New Testament, There is a time when seven sons are specifically mentioned together. It's in Acts chapter 19. It's the sons of Siva. It is a strange passage where the seven sons of Siva, a high priest, they're going around casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And these seven sons, this perfect picture of completeness and fulfillment and status and power, go around casting out demons. And then the demons talk back and say, We know Jesus, and we've heard of Paul, but who are you? And the seven sons of Siva are overpowered and sent away running from the house, beaten and naked by this demon who overpowered them. Because it wasn't just being seven sons that mattered. In the seven sons of Siva, it's a matter of the fact that they speak the name of Jesus, but they don't have the love of Christ or a passionate understanding of Jesus as their Savior in their hearts. Because talk is cheap, and love goes deeper than talk. In fact, they should go together. Ruth, who is better to Naomi than seven sons, made a declaration of love. Not of romantic love, but of committed love. All the way back in chapter 1, she is better than seven sons because when Naomi had no one and nothing... Ruth said, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Friends, that is not hallmark love. That is committed love. That is both passionate and fierce, humble and bold. And so it is that these women congratulate Naomi that she is holding Obed in her arms, but that they praise Ruth because this daughter-in-law who loves her is better to her than seven sons. 
in a culture where you don't really care about daughter-in-laws that much, unfortunately. And yet here, Ruth is praised. Naomi has arrived. She has arrived, and she is at peace. She is no longer called Mara, which means bitter, what she called herself. She is called Mara no more. She is Naomi. Elimelech has died. In chapter 1, Pastor Audrey taught us that Elimelech means my God is king. And now after all of her loss, Naomi holds Obed in his arms. Obed, which means servant of God. Servant of God. She holds this servant, a humble name, the servant of God that she holds in her arms is enough to know that she has arrived, that the steadfast love of God has not abandoned her, that the love of Boaz and Ruth sustained her, and that she will now be cared for. Because love will outweigh the status. And God's love and the way in which this story works out is a reminder that our expectations can sometimes be set too far off when we think about what it means to have arrived. Perhaps it's good to remember, instead of asking, what would it look like to have fully arrived, to start by asking, what would be enough What would be enough? Is it enough for Naomi to hold Obed in her arms? Yes, absolutely. Is it the same as having seven sons who had seven sons? No, not at all. But there is a steadfast love at work that is more important than any of the status or gains that could be had. As we finish up this series and as we look into Ash Wednesday and next Sunday being the first Sunday in Lent, I wonder if it's worth thinking about not not how are you going to treat Lent in such a way that you'll emerge as a, a Christian superhero on the other side of Lent. That the fast that you commit to or the practice that you take on will will turn you into a spiritual sage or something like that but rather with humility, not to ask how will you treat Lent to see if you have arrived at the next level of Christianity as if there were such a thing, but rather ask yourself as you go into Ash Wednesday and into Lent, what would make this season enough? What is one thing that I could do or cease doing or take on that would make this season meaningful? Not to try to achieve the seven sons version of success, but rather within our hearts to ask, what would make this season enough? That when I get to Easter Sunday, that there will be something that I can celebrate and cling to and say, this was enough. This made it worth it. Ask God what in your life would be enough. And that might require us to be aware of maybe what our seven sons vision is. What, what is our, our status that we have in mind that we're after? What is our accomplishment that we desire most? And rather than ignoring that, be aware of it and ask, what's not the seven sons picture, but what is enough? Even something small. Naomi has Obed because Boaz and Ruth had love for one another 
that Naomi kind of set them up for a little bit. And Obed, although it's said in, in the text even, when the women of Bethlehem are speaking to Naomi, they say, may he become famous throughout Israel. Is Obed famous in Israel? He's not one of the first names that comes up. If we were to play the game of what Old Testament character would you like to meet the most, most of you probably would be like, I want to meet Obed. We kind of forget about names like these. But it's where he's placed. The women of Bethlehem are not wrong that he will become famous because what they can't imagine is that this Obed, this servant of God in the arms of Naomi, coming out of all of the tragedy because steadfast love endures, this Obed is the grandfather of King David. When Obed is born, there aren't even kings in Israel yet. We are still in the time of judges. And Obed is the grandfather of King David, the king, the one who is revered in Israel. Saul will be anointed soon, but then David will be the one who will rule over a united kingdom of Israel. David, who will be a man after God's own heart. David, who will both serve the Lord and who will be king over Israel. David, who confirms that my God is king and that I come to serve my God. All in the story of Ruth, so foreshadowed cleverly. Friends, Obed is nobody famous, but his birth is a miracle of love. And in bringing them together, God provides the line of David that no one could even imagine that Obed's grandson would be the most revered and celebrated king in the history of Israel. He's just a servant of God. Just as Ruth was a faithful servant to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Just as Boaz, with all of his wealth and status, was serving his duty as kinsman redeemer, but he did so with great love and affection towards Ruth. Ruth's story seems to be over in some ways. She's played her faithful part. We celebrate that Naomi is well cared for. And it can almost be over. But that line should stick with us. Ruth, your daughter-in-law who loves you, is better to you than seven sons. If you could trade any kind of status or achievement for love, we would line up to do so. Celebrate those acts of simple yet committed, fierce and humble love. Because Naomi has lost a lot. But what she has gained is beyond what she can even imagine. She cannot imagine that she is the great-great-grandmother of a king of Israel when there was not yet a king in Israel. For her, it's just enough. It's enough that she has arrived. She knows what her version of seven sons would be. It would be literally seven sons. But for her, it is holding Obed in her arms. Status, importance, wealth are not bad things. Certainly Boaz had plenty of status and wealth. But his version of a life well lived was in loving Ruth, the foreigner, 
caring for her, putting her well-being in a high and lofty place. And he loved her. Friends, don't get distracted by your biggest vision of what you want life to be and lose out on the simple love that actually makes life worth living. And maybe we find ourselves in Naomi's shoes in earlier parts of the chapter where life isn't working out. This isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I expected. This is disappointing or frustrating. And it can seem like, how is God going to fix any of this? One thing that we remember is that God's picture is bigger than ours. No one in this story knows yet who King David is. He's generations away. And yet, they find such meaning. It was enough. It was enough for Naomi to hold Obed in her arms, to know that she would be cared for, and that we are cared for by a servant of God as well. That when maybe we walk the shoes of Naomi, when life doesn't make sense, when it's bitter, when things have been taken away and frustrating, that we remember that Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you, but I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let that be enough. As it turned out for Naomi that it was enough that Ruth would walk with her and would be with her. Be Ruth to someone else to let them know that they're not alone, that God is with them and that you are with them. And when we do this, it might not seem like enough. It might not seem like enough in the moment. It's not the seven sons picture of the fullness of life where everything is perfect. But what we find in Scripture again and again is that steadfast love is enough when it is rooted in God's promises and God's faithfulness. So if you want to change the world, if you want to make the world a better place, love like Ruth who clung to Naomi. Cling to Naomi when she's got nothing left, but nonetheless, Ruth says, I am with you and I will not leave you. Love like Boaz, who had wealth and status and used it to put Ruth's benefit first and foremost in his life. And love like Naomi. Love like Naomi, who maybe it sometimes actually pushed people away who wanted to help but nonetheless finds a way to reinvest in those around her who have cared for her, who does feel that God has done her a disservice in life, yet never stops believing in God, but has some big questions. Love like Naomi, who was bitter and yet still persevered. And we love. We love not because we're so great, but because Christ loved first. We love not because we're trying to prove anything to God. We love not to earn God's blessings because grace has been poured out on us through Jesus Christ already. But rather, we love so that we can show the world that love is enough and that we can love the way King David loved God with all of his heart, that we can love to show a picture of Jesus whose love for us is both abundant and is enough.
In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.